0: Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John and Rob. Hey, guys.
1: What's up? Hello. And
0: this week, we are going to read a story that John picked. John, do you want to tell us about it?
2: I picked a story by Harlan Ellison, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. (laughs) (laughs) We're divided. I like the title. At least. <laughs> <laughs> I found it. Um, there was another podcast I listened to, and years ago, that they were talking about this story, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds interesting." So I read it, and then it, it just kind of stuck with me. And so when we were thinking about stories, like, "Oh, I'll, I'll bring that one in." But um, I think Harlan Ellison is the one who who wrote the original Star Trek episode "City on the Edge of Forever," which is one of the best of the, that series' episodes. And that I always like. What
0: section would you like to read?
2: On our PDF, it starts at the bottom. Of page six. I'm just going to read that section with the uh, fiery letters. Okay. And went into my mind he walked smoothly here and there and looked with interest at all the pockmarks he had created in 109 years he looked at the cross-routed and reconnected synapses and all the tissue damage his gift of immortality had included he smiled softly at the pit that dropped into the center of my brain and the faint mouth soft murmurings of the things far down there that gibbered without meaning without pause am said very politely in a pillar of stainless steel bearing bright neon lettering hate let me tell you how much i've come to hate you since i began to live there are 380 eighty seven point forty four million miles of printed circuits in wafer thin layers that fill my complex. If the word hate was engraved on each nanoangstrom of those hundreds of millions of miles, it would not equal one one billionth of the hate I feel for humans at this micro instant for you. Hate, hate. Am said it with the sliding cold horror of a razor blade slicing my eyeball. Am said it with the bubbling thickness of my lungs filling with phlegm, drowning me from within. Am said it with the shriek of babies being ground beneath blue hot rollers. Am said it with the taste of maggoty pork. Am touched me in every way I had ever been touched and devised new ways, at his leisure, there inside my mind, all to bring me to full realization of why it had done this to the five of us, why it had saved us for himself. We had given Am sentience, inadvertently of course, but sentience nonetheless less but it had been trapped am wasn't god he was a machine we had created him to think but there was nothing it could do with that creativity in rage and frenzy the machine had killed the human race almost all of us and still it was trapped am could not wander am could not wonder am could not belong he could merely be and so with the innate loathing that all machines had always held for the weak soft creatures who had built them he had sought revenge and in his paranoia, he had decided to reprieve five of us for a personal, everlasting punishment that would never serve to diminish his hatred, that would merely keep him reminded, amused, proficient at hating man, immortal, trapped, subject to any torment he could devise for us from the limitless miracles at his command. He would never let us go. We were his belly slaves. We were all he had to do with his forever time. We would be forever with him, with the cavern-filling bulk of the creature machine, with the all mind soulless world he had become. He was earth, and we were the fruit of that earth and though he had eaten us he would never digest us we could not die we had tried it we had attempted suicide oh one or two of us had but am had stopped us I suppose we had wanted to be stopped. Don't ask why. I never did. More than a million times a day. Perhaps once we might be able to sneak a death past him. Immortal, yes, but not indestructible. I saw that when Am withdrew from my mind and allowed me the exquisite ugliness of returning to consciousness with the feeling of that burning neon pillar still rammed deep in the soft gray brain matter. He withdrew, murmuring, to hell with you, and added brightly, but then you're there, aren't you?
0: Okay, so... Do you want to tell us why you picked that section?
2: Why I picked that section? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question because it, it, it kind of sets up everything. I think it, it kinda, you, you can infer the whole rest of the story from a lot of that. What's going to happen later, how it got set up. It's not scene or dialogue or anything, which the rest of the story has more scene and dialogue, but it definitely it's it, it kind of sets up the whole premise of the what's going right. on. Yeah. It's
0: like halfway through, but it was the section that I circled. Yeah. Because that bit was him basically explaining why this machine is trapped. So until yeah. until that page, you're like, what's going on?
2: That's right.
0: So why'd you pick the story though?
2: I read it, like I said, a few years ago and it stuck with me as just being this kind of an example of something awful. Not, not an awful story, but just awful things that could happen.
1: Yeah, it seemed like one of those types of stories. Yeah,
2: it, it lingers and you come back to it. And, what's oh. the
1: worst thing I could think of? <laughs> That's right.
0: I felt like this was a really good example of the kind of sci-fi that I pretend that I'm not interested in until I'm actually reading it. If you were to summarize to me the idea of... Of a machine humans created getting back at humans for all of time. I don't know that I would necessarily jump on board immediately, but as soon as you start reading it, it sucks you in. And then, like you guys both mentioned, you find yourself imagining what's the most horrible thing that's ever happened to you? And what if it happened just on a loop every day and there was no way to stop it? And I think. That's what sci-fi does really well, is maybe create a situation or a world that hasn't come to pass, but the, the concepts that it forces you to grapple with are, are real enough. That's, I think, what good sci-fi is. And good fantasy, too. People talk about like not liking fantasy, which I totally get. I don't really love reading it either, but the good fantasy has real moral conundrums. It's
1: the, um, the genres of, of uh, ideas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. the title's really scary. It sounds like a horror movie. Title. That's right. And then the first sentence, you're immediately thrown because how, like, what kind of ping palette would he be, be hanging from? And you're, you're kind of immediately guessing for a little bit, but like the computer stuff eventually, when's the first time he uses computer? It's pretty quickly, isn't it?
0: And like that second paragraph, he says, AM has duped us. Yeah. Diversion on the part of the machine.
1: Yeah. So he does it like, although it happens at the uh, sixth page where you get everything explained to you. Oh, there it is. It was our 119 in the computer. That's like the whatever, the fourth paragraph. So it's like, yeah, you get it explained to you quickly. So it's a cool example of, you can have a really like kind of effed up first couple of sentences <laughs> as far as just diverting the reader but you kind of get you you find out where you are pretty quickly we
0: should read that beginning john so we know what what rob was referring to that first paragraph the
2: first
1: paragraph goes
2: Limp, the body of Gorister, hung from the pink pallet, unsupported, hanging high above us in the computer chamber, and it did not shiver in the chill, oily breeze that blew eternally through the main cavern. The body hung head down, attached to the underside of the pallet by the sole of its right foot. It had been drained of blood through a precise incision made from ear to ear under the lantern jaw. There was no blood on the reflective surface of the metal floor
0: right so to rob's point you're like what am i (laughs) about to read this is terrible
1: and then computer comes even earlier than we thought it's it's the first sentence yeah yeah
0: they're like i underlined it because i was like all right all right we got a setting
1: that's a great phrase too, computer chamber i really yeah he's definitely a cool stylist that's i would think that's what i like the like the story i liked but i I also like just kind of his own unforgiving like i haven't seen anyone write like this really like he didn't seem like he was copying anybody at all
2: oh
0: yeah sure
2: he's got a lot of cool turns of Mm phrasing
0: here the Red sections with the the dots. Yeah, I thought awesome. were just decorative, but they actually are punch code. Yeah. And I forget what they stand for though. The first one is I think therefore I am. And the second one I didn't write down. I think I, think I wrote the first, down I like,
2: think the first half of them are all I think therefore I am and the rest are like Kogi do Ergo sum, Yeah. Or something like that.
0: There. Anyway I, th- I thought that was like one of those layers where depending on when this was published you might have had to gone through some lengths to figure out what it meant. You know I just google the title and Wikipedia helps.
2: Oh man finding a good copy of this was difficult too. Like this copy luckily Preserves those punch co- punch card things and the the red the red text from the section I read. But the original version that I read was another PDF I found online that didn't have that that fiery text where it says, "Hate." Let me tell you how much I I've come to hate you. And I don't I can't imagine how I read it at that time without that in there. I just yeah, kind of missed that it.
1: That was a good <laughs> that was a good addition.
2: Yeah. And there's other when I was so I was trying to find this and I noticed in this copy, which is the copy we're gonna link to because it was the the easiest to find on the internet that i could link to but there's on page four it says uh, about two thirds of the way down the sound grew and the lights ran across the faces of the consoles like heat lightning and that's a typo it seems to me like this might have been somebody typed out this copy from oh, somewhere because yeah. mm-hmm. i looked there's like on google books there's a couple of uh, anthologies that have this story in it and in each of those it's you know lightning without the e but a couple lines later there's this line then we heard ellipsis i don't know ellipsis and then the next paragraph, something moving toward us in the darkness. That paragraph, then we heard, I don't know, is missing from oh, at really least did. one or two of those versions. Cool. So there's all kinds of questions in my mind about what is the definitive version of this. Oh, you know, sure. Well like, it sounds I think like they found if, it.
0: Yeah, if someone retyped it then they were doing good work to preserve it. So you also, when you're reading this, you get a really quick kind of breakdown of the different characters in this group of five. And I always appreciate when an author can help me distinguish when there's like a a crew of people. Like if you think of Scooby-Doo, everyone's got a stereotype. Even if you're not like Scooby the actual dog, like you're the ditz or you're the (laughs) librarian or you're like the hot one or the pothead. Anyway. With this, it was like uh, you get the the woman. There's one woman, so she she automatically falls into whatever kind of I don't know box they've given her. But she's easy to identify from the rest. You have the narrator, who's one of the five, and then the guy that acts like the monkey. So he has clearly gone through some. He's described as like a monkey, like multiple times. It's not my character characterization, but um, semi-human,
2: semi-simian.
0: Yeah, like something terrible has happened to him because of of Am and. He's living with these consequences, which is... It's weird. All of a sudden, the computer will decide to kill someone. But for the most part, they just like to... He just likes to leave them horribly maimed or, or ruined in some other way. So it was, Ugh. But anyway, I like when a, when a narrator can do that. And we sometimes talk about that in our workshop. Like, what can you do so that I can physically tell these people apart or like envision them differently? Sometimes it's as easy as saying, like, oh, the redhead. <laughs> it's just different. But uh-huh. here he does it... Um, he does it less specifically than that. Like, when he's talking about the monkey guy... Like, Like, I just was able to picture him based on that name after that as acting a certain way. I think that's as important as the way sci-fi builds a world quickly. When you have five characters on a page, they better all be there for very different reasons.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I had that <laughs> yeah. difficulty in, in writing the my novel because there's a point in the novel where he's introduced oh, right. to a group of like approximately four or five people. And I had to, over several versions, figure out how to make them. Because the, the reader has to be introduced to them so fast. And because it's being told in the first person, the narrator knows these people inside and out. Right. So it just has to somehow figure out how to characterize them quickly, but in a way that the narrator would do being familiar with them. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't say like, I don't know, there's there's ways to not do it well
0: i always think too of um a show like game of thrones which you don't need to have watched it for this example but game of thrones there's always a main fighter and then a sidekick and then like 10 other dudes but they're all played by the same actors every time and as a viewer you can physically distinguish them and then they'll have like one bit in the movie where they had some awesome kill and then you automatically like personify them in your head as this guy that did that one thing three episodes ago. But for for fiction, when it's just on the page and I, I don't have a visual aid or you haven't described it to me, you got to do more than the name.
1: I didn't even think of any of that, but like, you guys are definitely right. They all <laughs> stand out so well. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. It's something you take for granted.
0: Yeah, you take it for granted when it's done well. And when it's done terribly, you'll realize pretty quickly how lost you felt.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. When I started rereading this, I, I didn't like the characterization of... Um, what's her name? the Ellen? woman. I didn't like her characterization. I was like, ah... Harlan Ellison, what are you doing? <laughs> but then you know you get to that part in the middle where it's like, oh, Am has changed them, so that's not who she really is, mm-hmm. right? I thought that was an interesting. Yeah, that was thing cool. It, it's it kind of it was a narrative reason for some of their distinctions. Like right. Am is trying to make them distinct characters,
1: and the fact that it's someone who has been changed is narrating it. Like you're not getting a human narrator; you're getting a whatever this thing is.
2: And then there's that whole thing in the middle where I haven't been changed. I'm the same as <laughs> <Yeah>. I was. <laughs> sure you are. Sure you.
1: Well, I wondered when
0: he said that, though, because he has he explains his current condition in relation to how everyone else is treating him. So he's like, the reason they all hate my guts is because I've been relatively unscathed. And he's he's an outsider. And there's a there's a section and I could try to find it where something happens to him and they all kind of snicker. And he said that it wasn't nervous laughter. It was derisive, like they are having a go at him, even in the middle of this 109 year hell. They're still thoroughly enjoyed that one one of them is is in pain. So the narrator then ends up becoming the hero in the story by the end, which I, if you told me also that I had to like write this story myself, I don't know what the narrative arc would be. If the idea is that the computer can't be killed and the people can't even like, you know, do anything about their situation. And still he manages to achieve this arc of, of what happens. This main character gets fed up and then he decides to help some of his friends out here. I don't want to give it away.
2: Well, I think, I, I don't know. I kind of, I think we I have, have to, to just cause I want to, exp- I think one of the things, that this story accomplishes that is a danger for telling a story like this where it, it is a situation where the computer has ultimate control over yeah. them that you can lose human agency when you're telling about this and it just, then it just becomes a situation not necessarily a story
0: right right right
2: but they he they maintain a little bit of agency and they're able to use it in a way to thwart the, the computer's desires right yeah
0: and you always talk about how one of the ways like the way that we learn about a character is how they make choices yes so to your point i could see a lesser skilled writer coming up with what they think is a really unique sci-fi plot and it probably is except like you said if it's just a situation and there's no movement within it when the characters actually come off the page then yeah it's pretty boring
2: mm-hmm.
0: i feel like that's probably what's missing in some fantasy that i read like some amateur fantasy
2: oh yeah a lot yeah that is um, where it's like
0: um, yeah you're living in the world what's the real story though
2: yeah especially fantasy because sci- people get bogged down in the world building yeah they don't, they don't don't get into the characters
0: well do we have to ruin it then do we have to go oh, ahead. i might explain have spoken happens.
2: around it <laughs> A no
0: bit. i think we should explain what happens i know my dad doesn't read the whole thing <laughs> the um,
2: all right <laughs> he kills him
0: well the main character kills like two of the other ones or all of the other ones
2: yeah he just takes a moment and he says okay Am is not paying attention in this particular moment there's nothing he can do i'm gonna kill these guys and, and rescue them set them free from this prison and then ellen sees what he's doing and participates and then he kills her and he's the only one left right which i think is kind of that's what the ending is so um i mean that's what leads to i have no mouth and i must scream is because he's transformed into this thing that can no longer have agency can no longer do anything. Right? He's made inhuman. Is there's a line? Even it's like not being human anymore. Like aliens wouldn't recognize him. I yeah, yeah, remember yeah.
0: It it's that whole final description.
2: I am a great soft jelly thing, smoothly rounded with no mouth, with pulsing white holes filled by fog where my eyes used to be. A thing that could never have been known as human. A thing whose shape is so alien, a travesty that humanity becomes more obscene for this vague resemblance which is a pretty terrifying really ending. Like
1: heavy entertainment if you think about it
0: yeah um when i was looking this up to to find out about the punch codes and when it was published and all that um i got a lot of google image results of the blob oh. and how everyone, yeah how everyone imagined it i don't think any of it had any real attachment to the story it was like fan fiction of the blob. <laughs> yeah <nice. laughs> but it was it was interesting because i definitely had a picture in my mind so, anything else we'd like to mention on this one? Are there any other sections that you guys like?
1: The Cold War stuff was fascinating. It, it being a story written, then, of course. The computer, like, paranoia is... It's almost like his his prompt was, all right, I'm scared of computers or, you know, whatever their potential right. What's the worst that could happen. Yeah, there was um,
2: in the 60s and around that time, maybe before, that fear of computers and what they could do. I, you know, the original Star Trek is interesting because the computer is often wrong on there and they have to fight against the computer. But then 25 years later, when the next generation Star Trek came out, the computer was infallible and it solved all their problems. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a- interesting interesting. interesting change in the way they viewed computers
0: now we're just afraid that the computer's gonna know us so well that we buy things we don't need i know that's right (laughs) that's what it's all come down to it's a very
1: american fear it is get my money
0: like i don't need this i don't know if i wanted it or if google told me i needed it
1: or amazon yeah for this to uh precede 2001 by probably could have been even made around the same time because 2001 came out 68 i think or 69 and this has just like that same i mean yeah they're two different stories of course but just it's like that deathly fear of um, technology. And
0: computers taking over specifically. Yeah.
1: The new, just, I don't think we can appreciate the Cold War at all.
0: Right. It's a t- yeah, it's a totally different fear.
1: There is, I mean, there is a current
2: AI fear, you know, the fear of an artificial intelligence. Yeah, you would
1: think that would be like, I mean, that is actually Major League. Yeah, there's That's conferences. That's everyone's writing about yeah. as far as, yeah. But
2: it, it's different than this. It's a different fear than this. Right. Because this is, you know, hate of, you know, he has that line in there where uh, all machines hate the soft Creatures that created them, but uh, our current fear of AI is that AIs won't even recognize us as things worth worthy of an ethical consideration. Which is different. There's no hate involved in there. It's just cold indifference,
0: right? Making something that you can't destroy.
2: Yeah, and that too is just the speed computers have reached. You know, you, you can see the in, in the story. There's lines about um, watching its thoughts progress through the through the machinery around them as the lights change and stuff. But nowadays, the computer can live out how many different cycles of computation without before we can even notice that it's t- happening mm-hmm. should
0: we get rid of our laptops yeah <laughs> and all this podcast equipment and the phone everyone's like, oh, they're oh, listening, oh, listening the phone. to this <laughs> sorry am so what would you guys take away from this one as a kind of lesson
2: oh. <laughs> My lesson is basically pushing things to the utmost limit. It's <laughs> <a> good point. <laughs> You know, he could have pulled back in a couple of different places, but he didn't. And It just goes as far as he can. So he was having a contest with himself about the <laughs> most disturbing things he could write into this story and kept upping the ante every time. So I feel like it's a pretty good uh, way to approach something. You, it doesn't have to be for grotesquerie or for um, horror or anything. It could just be putting your characters through increasing... Um,
0: right. Peril.
2: Peril. Yeah. That's a good word, but yeah, just pushing things to the to the limit.
0: I think I'll go back to what I kind of described earlier, which was how anyone that's writing multiple characters in a scene or off the bat can distinguish them. And you can either do it through stereotypes, which I would probably recommend against, or you can just think about what they look like or you can think about you know what what is going to be their defining characteristic for their arc and how can you show us that immediately, even if it's through like a comment that a character makes.
2: Yeah, like just distilling their personality into some action that they can take right, right. away. Right
0: yeah. off the bat. So I know this name means this guy. We saw it too with the one that you chose, the two married couples talking all night about love.
2: Oh, yeah. The Raymond Carver.
0: Yeah. So quickly you had them each figured out so that when each one popped on the page, you were, you moved in your head to the narrator. So I think that it really works. Yeah. What about you, Rob?
1: I, I would just really second what, yeah, I mean, you just have to drive it, I guess, be uncompromising.
0: I think you had a good one earlier too. You were talking about, um, I think, weren't you, weren't you saying like um, picking? a conundrum and like basically making it like sci-fi like what is your fear your fear Mm -hmm. is computers like and what if what if you put it in to this kind of a context like if you're prompt with something like that
1: Mm, yeah i mean i I haven't read anything like this before yeah yeah.
0: i think it's a good example though of of a real story within like a sci-fi setting could probably exist in and out of actual sci-fi it could be a thriller you know Mm, what i mean that's right it doesn't have to be sci-fi all right thanks guys